0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. In 2018, Great Britain did something that no other country, to my knowledge, had ever done before, but I think many other countries might do now, is they appointed a minister of loneliness. It was their government's way of recognizing that loneliness— Uh, had become, in their words, a pandemic, a widespread issue and experience, particularly amongst the elderly, people living uh, on their own or just in an elderly stage of life. And uh, that this was something they were trying to address. But the truth is it's not something that was only affecting one segment of the population, one demographic, and certainly not only in the United United Kingdom. In 2010, uh, a study in America found that over a third of Americans over the age of 45 identified feeling lonely on a regular basis, over a third of people over the age of 45. And then in 2017, a Harvard study noted that the U.S. Surgeon General had actually been able to quantify, or in his uh, calculations, quantify the impact on the body of prolonged periods of social isolation, equated them to the same impact on your body as if you smoked 15 cigarettes a day that that was having a physiological effect. Prolonged isolation affected your body in the same way that smoking 15 cigarettes a day did. Now, hear me on this. This was before the pandemic. This was before the pandemic where we all collectively as a, as a world went through periodic, uh, frequent episodes over, to, over a two-year time frame of social distancing and social isolation. But it's no surprise that Harvard published a study in 2021 saying that now amongst older teens and young adults, that demographic had actually shot past the elderly in in the highest incidence of experience of loneliness and isolation, which is interesting because they are also, you would say, maybe the most connected generation, uh, a generation defined by friends, um, likes, followers, um, subscribers, and yet we can realize, yeah, that no matter how many people you are connected to or even sometimes surrounded by, you may not physically be alone and yet can still be experiencing loneliness and isolation, that this is a widespread issue whether you are elderly, whether you are over 45, whether you are a teen or a young adult. And so maybe that actually names an experience either now or in the past for some of you listening. Or maybe I could just broaden it a little bit to include a word like this. Noticed. Like how many of us would say, you know, do the people I see really see me? The people who see me on a regular basis, do they really see me? Am I noticed? Or maybe if I could say this way, am I known? Like not just by my, by my name, but like who I am. I think it's fair to say that no matter what age you are, um, that many of us at either at the present time or in the past or for for long periods of time or just infrequently have had experiences of loneliness, isolation, feeling unseen, unnoticed, and unknown. But if I can say this, of one of the many things we can conclude uh, from this and from some of the research that I mentioned is that it's possible to be surrounded by people and still feel alone, lonely, unnoticed, or unknown. This is actually something that maybe many of us experience and experience in our world. And I think more than ever, it means that, um, what's so unique about the pandemic is that um, we are aware of, and maybe even if you're not somebody who's in this uh, place, right now, where you don't have those feelings, or maybe you have in the past, but you know other people that do. And yet we're we're aware of trying to help each other at the same time as going through something ourselves. The pandemic, in a sense, and the last two years kind of put us in a situation where we were trying to help others go through something that we ourselves were going through at the same time. And so in many ways we can have this experience going, yeah, okay, I know like people are struggling with isolation, loneliness, feeling unknown, feeling unseen, feeling lost in kind of the sea of people or what's happening in the world around us. But I feel maxed myself. I feel like I don't have any capacity. I feel like I'm going through my own thing. And here's the beautiful truth that Jesus offers us that we're actually talking about over these next few weeks. That in Jesus, we are given not just sort of proximity (laughs) to others, but presence. That we have the ability, uh, the gift, to experience the presence of God. To actually um, feel the community of people around us and know that we are not alone. That this is something we were actually meant to know and experience. Um, And so we're actually taking these Weeks to go through, well, what does it mean to actually experience presence, Um, not just proximity? And to realize this, that the very thing God asks us to bring into the world, presence, is the very gift we ourselves need. And so we don't need to worry to feel like, I don't know how to help everyone around me. I don't know how to do everything and fix all of the problems that are around the world or deal with all these research studies or the people in my life that I know are experiencing loneliness or isolation or feeling unseen and feeling unknown, or I'm feeling that myself. That the very thing God asks us to bring, presence into the world, is the very gift we ourselves need as well. And so we're saying over these several weeks, we're actually gonna explore of what does it mean to bring presence into the world. We began a couple of weeks ago talking about the fact that the reason this matters so much is that God himself chose to save and redeem and heal our world through his own presence. He became flesh and blood, God in a bod, <laughs> Jesus Christ, living amongst us by his presence. And then he formed a community, the church, to go out into the world and do the same thing, to be present, to bring what we call as ordinary people bringing extraordinary presence. That that's what it means to be the people of God in the world. Ordinary people carrying around the extraordinary presence of Jesus with us. We said, yes, this is the amazing gift that we get to bring and be a part of in the world. And yet it is something we actually have to learn to do. We have to practice presence because in many ways we've forgotten it because of what we've been through the last couple of years, or perhaps we never even realized that that's who we are. Yes, ordinary people, but carrying around in us extraordinary presence. And so we're spending these few weeks and Matt talked last week about the presence being present at the table, the practice of hospitality, the practice of eating a meal together. Today we're gonna talk about um, another practice and just like Matt did last week, we are going to say, well, how do I do this? Well, we go to the one who was present in the world with us, who lived this out, Jesus Christ, God who became flesh and lived among us. It's not just what he taught us, but his life and how we see him as being present in the world that teaches us the practices Presence, and the one we're going to look at today may be familiar to you or not, but it, it's 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 so simple, and in a sense, only in a couple of verses that the danger is that we would miss altogether that this is actually a practice, but even more so, miss how what this actually meant, why Jesus was doing this, and what it means for us today. And so, let's listen together as it's read for us. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Did you know? that Jesus was the original Mr. Rogers, right? Uh, Isn't that that what's going on here? Like, uh, what is this passage about? And it's interesting, this appears in three of his four biographies, and it looks like it's saying, oh, thank goodness, Jesus is good with children. (laughs) Like, you know how some people are good with children, not good with children. We kind of would hope that Jesus is, and it's like, oh, what a relief, he's good with children, (laughs) right? Um, Maybe that's what we think when we read this, but another level level, will think this is strange. Okay. Um, in the last few years, I've started to read some biographies. And one of the things I've noticed about biographies is they're always thick, like huge, thick, way thicker than the, than the four biographies of Jesus combined because the biographies of Jesus, like this one we're reading today in Matthew, they're just the highlight reel. They're just like the, the things that they wrote down later that they remembered were so significant. So why on earth is this thing about Jesus with the children? Three verses appear in three of the four biographies. There must be more to it than first meets the eye. And I think maybe even more to the point, like what does this have to do with loneliness, isolation, being seen, being known, or for our purposes this week, presence. What does this have to do with presence? Well, we kind of need to begin uh, first looking at this, not through our 21st century uh lens that is uh tinted by the disney channel and dr zeus and all of this way of looking at children and more understand how were children seen in the first century because in many ways as 21st century people we have romanticized this idea of childhood in, in general as this time of wonder and creativity and we have all of these shows and beliefs that you know children have so much to teach us they're actually wiser than adults certainly in the case of Bart Simpson they're much smarter than their dumb parents or whatever it is and t- you know spy kids and like this is the world we live in like oh children wonder creativity wisdom beyond their years they have so much to teach us that is not how the first century Greco-Roman world saw children and and so we just kind of need to step back and go wait what was going on in here and why was this such a significant passage? And there's a few kind of things that marked uh, childhood or children in the first century. One is that infant mortality was very high. Um, Infant mortality was a big issue, um, in part because many children didn't survive childbirth or many children as in a vulnerable stage as an infant or a young child were susceptible to diseases or plagues or pandemics and would die. Um, also, infanticide, the killing of children was a, was a, a common thing uh, where families would say, well, we, don't have any, we can't afford to have another child or whatever, and so that's what would happen to children. And so children, in a sense, were very marginal, on the margins, even in their, li- their, um, their prospect of living long. But secondly, uh, and this is gonna sound obvious, but children weren't considered adults. They weren't considered to be valuable like adults were. An adult was valuable to society because they could contribute. And certainly in homes and cultures where you had farms and where you had businesses and where you needed family to do that, a child was a dependent. They were a drain on the resource. They were a drain on the finances. They couldn't help. Um, Now, you hoped that eventually they would grow up and they could help in the family business. But as they were in their childlike form, they were not really considered valuable or of use to anyone yet. And maybe even more so. In the context of religion and faith um people do not consider children to be um spiritual or close to god or of, of any kind of like importance in the spiritual realm because your, um, your proximity to God, your value to God or who you were as a spiritual person was based on your ability to understand God's laws and to be obedient, to follow all of the of the rules and all that kind of stuff. And only learned people could do that and do that well. And you had to be taught and grow up. And so by, by very definition of being a child, well, you didn't know God. You couldn't understand the things of God and you couldn't really live the way God wanted to. You just sort of obeyed your parents and that kind of thing. And so even in terms of their relationship to God, children were not viewed really in a a very important way in fact the phrase used little children often referred to not just children but um, like household slaves they had the same kind of status as each other in terms of importance they were just there and hopefully if they could do a little bit of work but they were not really known or seen or valued at all which makes you wonder, well, why are these parents then kind of bringing these children to Jesus? <clears throat> well, in, in many ways, they thought like Jesus was a holy man. And so if somehow a child could be touched, that maybe they would be protected in some spiritual superstitious way from dying young or from the disease, or maybe they had disease and say they wanted a holy man to touch them, or they just wanted them to, you know, to protect them somehow, protecting their investment, basically, maybe their future retirement plans or whatever. That's why they're bringing their kids to Jesus. Now, so there's all these crowds around him and they, were, they, were, they kind of felt, uh, fell into the, when you read the gospels or the biographical accounts of Jesus, you'll read all the time that there were crowds of people always around him, always trying to get to him. At some points, t- sometimes it says the crowds almost crushed him by how close they were to him all the time. And so the disciples, I don't think Jesus told them to do this, but they kind of saw themselves as handlers, you know? We're, we got to manage the entourage. And so they were always pushing people away. And so here's this account where these parents are bringing these children to Jesus to have a holy man kind of bless them or whatever. And the disciples um, saw these children, you know, here as part of um, not just because they were children. Like imagine these parents like kind of hanging their babies like over the crowds, trying to just get them in front of Jesus to get to touch him, or sending their little kids going, no, oh, worm your way through the crowd. You know those little annoying kids who are always butting in line or whatever. Like you know, I know it, you're saying there's no such thing. Yeah, they're your kids. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, don't hate me. Um, they right pushing their toddlers or whoever to go run towards Jesus, just get into the crowd. And the disciples, because of how children were viewed in that in that world, were like, no, no, you don't get You don't get to the front of you don't get to come to Jesus like you're not important enough. And in fact, we know um, there was a a rich, important ruler waiting to talk to Jesus just kind of happening after this account. And so there's other way there's other way more important people ahead of you. And so it's easy for us to see the disciples. It's like, look at them. They hate children. They're they're like those villains in all the Disney movies. It's like, no, they basically thought they were doing the right thing by sending the children away, like shooing them. No, 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 go away. You can't come. Or rebuking the parents. Hey, get away. Like Jesus doesn't have time for you, right? It says they rebuked the parents and sent away the children. And we think, oh, how horrible. They would have thought this is the right thing to do. These children fall, and many of them would have come from poor families or whatever who needed help and couldn't couldn't pay doctors or whatever. They would have fallen into the category of people who weren't worth the time and attention and care that someone as important as Jesus um, would, would, would have to give. And so that's what the disciples thought. And so they thought they were doing the right thing. And many people in the first century would have looked and said, yeah, yeah, get away. You know, no, you're not at the front of the line. You ever had that experience or that feeling that you're there, but people are telling you, no, no, you don't belong. And I'm just not talking about front of the line for tickets or whatever at a restaurant but like where you're talking to someone and clearly they're looking right past you. <laughs> I've had that experience before. Like I remember going to a conference recently and some kind of famous speakers were speaking. And I'm meeting other people, but it was kind of in a meet and greet time. And I remember a couple of people, there talking to me, but they're not really talking to me. They're kind of looking over my shoulder to wait till the really important person they want to talk to is available, right? And you ever had that moment where you're, you're like there, but you're not being seen. Maybe someone got your name off your name tag, but they're not actually trying to know you. Or you feel like maybe, oh yeah, I'm just kind of the extra (laughs) in the movie about your life. You know, I fill in the gaps (laughs) for this person, but they don't really see me. They don't really know me. Or I'm surrounded by people, but I feel alone. It's kind of what these children, they fell into a category of people like that. And the disciples give the most expected typical response. No, no, get away. You're not important. Jesus is actually the one With the surprising response, which I think is why they decided to write this down years later. And Jesus says this, don't hinder them because the kingdom of heaven or my kingdom belongs to such as these. Don't get, no, don't stop them from coming to me. In other words, welcome them. And this is a repeated theme in, uh, in Matthew's gospel and all the biographies of Jesus about w- who gets welcomed in. So this idea of hospitality of saying, no, you're invited, you belong. Bring them to the front of the line. Bring them to me. Think about all the crowds and Jesus saying, no, 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 no. don't shove them at the back of the line. Bring them to the inner circle. Clear space for them. Don't hinder them from coming to me. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such people. As these. I think we need to see this not just as Jesus valuing children, though he did. And I would argue the fact that the reason Disney and all of that exists, like we didn't learn to value children from Disney or Peter Pan. We learned it from Jesus. In fact, one of our friends who's an international worker in another part of the world, she said, I always know when Jesus has come to a home. Because the youngest child who would normally get the smallest portion of food, these are in countries and poor places where there's not a lot of food to go around. The youngest child would normally get the smallest portion of food. I always know when Jesus has come to a family because the youngest child is sitting on the lap of the father who normally would get the largest portion and is eating out of his bowl. (laughs) Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus in passages like this, but don't miss this. This isn't just about Jesus valuing children. Jesus, by saying the children and these little ones, do you know what the words these little ones became in the gospel writings, synonymous for anyone or people such as these, anyone who was an outsider, anyone who was unseen or unknown or not valuable or alone or who others, otherwise society, religion or whatever would have pushed to the outside. These little ones, when Jesus says such as these, he doesn't just mean children because they represented a broader category of all of the people who would otherwise be pushed out. And by Jesus welcoming them, he's sending this massive message to the world. This is how God sees the ones who are alone, lonely, isolated, unseen, unknown, unvalued, unimportant in the eyes of the world. This is the message Jesus was sending. And how does he send it? Not by preaching a sermon about it. He says it by placing his hands on them and blessing them and praying for them. That's how Jesus showed value, that he was seeing them, that God, in fact, was seeing, right? This was, he was a holy man. He was representing God to them. They didn't quite know that he was God in the flesh yet. But in that moment, they knew he was representing God. And by touching them and by, by praying for them and blessing them, he was conferring value on them. And what is this thing with like the touching and the putting hands with Jesus, just like a hugger. (laughs) I have a friend who like, he's a really close friend now. um, But when I first met him, like the second time he gives me this huge hug and I'm like, okay, you're a hugger, like close talker. (laughs) whatever. Is that Jesus, the hugger, close talker? No. What is this thing with the hand, placing his hand on them? Because here's the thing, the reason they wanted him to touch the children in the first place was it was like this idea of like a holy person or someone like Jesus who seemed to be close to God. It was as if, oh, because he's close to God, if he touches me or if he's close to me, that means I'm indirectly close to God, right? That somehow Jesus touched on them was saying, you know, it was almost like he's close enough to touch God and close enough to touch them that they somehow then are close to God. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing. And in this moment, he is making this profound act of presence. And if I can summarize it, it's like this. Jesus was putting one hand on God and one hand on them. And he was bringing God's word, God's good word to them. That's the blessing and bringing their needs to God. That's what Jesus was doing in this moment, putting one hand on God and one hand on them, bringing God's good words to them, the blessing, and bringing their needs to God in prayer. Isn't that incredible? That's this moment where, and by doing that, Jesus was saying to them, you belong, you are seen, you are known, God brings you close. One hand on God, one hand on them to hear God's good words. That's what the word blessing meant. It was God's good words of encouragement and affirmation and love and approval and prayer to take people's needs and so that people can say, does God see my need? Does God know where I'm at? Does God notice me? Yes, he has good words for you, and I'm going to bring your needs to him. That's what Jesus was doing. Two women in our church a couple of months ago told me about how they were out at a pub. They would have gone for a walk and they stopped at this pub for lunch and it was a busy uh, day. And the pub was full and they had a, a, a server who had a bunch of tables and she was a girl in her um, in her early 20s and really warm and bubbly and they just had a great rapport with her and just kind of connected with her chatting, kind of throughout the meal, chit-chat here and there or whatever. And near the end of the meal, one of them said, hey, um, you know, we really like you. Like, We would love to just kind of pray for you. Could we do that? And they said, immediately, the girl kind of teared up a little bit. And she said, yes, please. And they said, okay, what we're going to do is we're just going to listen to God and just see what God, what words God might have for you. And then the other one said, when they closed their eyes to just listen, they hear this word confidence. They, they hear, heard God say, tell her to, to be the person I made her to be. I have confidence in her. She needs to be more confident. And she said, this is kind of a strange word because the girl clearly was very confident. She was very warm, bubbly. She was working in a busy restaurant, had no problems. She wasn't someone who looked like, but she said, this is what I heard. And so she just said to the girl, I feel like the word God has for you is confidence. And she said, she started to cry even more. She said, you have no idea. I've been saying to myself this year, I need to work on my self-confidence. It's been a problem for me for many years. And so they brought God's good word of confidence to her. And then they just prayed that she would be able to become more confident in who God had made her to be. These are two ordinary people interacting with an ordinary person that they would see every day or that in a busy restaurant on a normal day. This wasn't holy people and people coming to places to be blessed. This was just everyday life. And these two people were doing exactly what Jesus did by bringing God's good words to this person in blessing and bringing their needs in prayer to God. Friends, this act of putting a hand on people, one hand on God, one hand on them, bringing God's good word to them, bringing their needs to God, isn't just something Jesus was doing 2,000 years ago. He is still doing it today. He's doing it today through you and me, through the Holy Spirit. Some of you may be wondering why we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus in us so that we, like Jesus, because Jesus is here through us as we put one hand on God and one hand on another person and we bring God's good word to them in blessing and we take their needs up to God in prayer. We are doing the very things that Jesus did when he was physically on the earth in flesh and blood and he is still doing them today through his church, through you and I in the everyday, ordinary places to all kinds of people who are experiencing isolation, loneliness or who feel unseen and unknown. Now let me ask you, How often do you see or notice the people around you? Or is it just, oh, they're the server taking my order and I'm kind of annoyed with them because they forgot it, or they were slow, or the restaurant's busy. Or this is the person that I always see at the cash when I pay for my gas. Or this is the kid who seems to be in all my classes. None of my friends are in all my classes this year, but this one kid is. Do we notice? Well, that's the guy I always sort of uh, see on my way in the subway and the go train on the way to work. Are they just sort of the extras in the film about me, about you? Do we see these people and do we realize, probably based on the statistics, based on what your own experience is like, and based on the people you do know, they're probably experiencing in some shape or form, some need, some crisis, some sense of isolation, some sense of being unseen, unknown. They are people who need someone else to put one hand on God and one hand on them and bring God's good word to them and bring their needs to God. We can do this. There are people actually in your life, or maybe you know well, you don't know well at all. They would never come to church. They're not going to say yes to an invite. They're not asking you about the Bible. They're not going to listen to some sermon. But if you said to them, can I pray for you? They would probably say, yes, please. They have some need, they have some burden, they have some experience, and nobody even sees them or knows them. Friends, this is the incredible calling and opportunity that we have as the church, the people of God, ordinary people who carry the extraordinary presence of Jesus around in us to put one hand on God and one hand on them and bring God's words to them and their needs to God. But here's what I'm pretty sure of we will never do this with people outside the church, outside the family of God, the people at the bank or in the gas station or in our classroom or service, if we don't first learn to do it with each other inside the family of God. This is where we learn to practice blessing and prayer. This is where we learn, because we're actually all here for that purpose, for whatever reason, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you are here in some shape or form because you want to hear God's good words to you and you want to have your needs brought to God. You want to be close to him. That's why you're here. So of course, we're already people who have opted in in some shape or form. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to practice it. Now, don't freak out. Don't leave. Just hear me out. This is going to be an opt-in only kind of thing. No one's going to make you do anything you don't want to do. But I'm betting there are people in the room who perhaps have been feeling isolated or lonely. Maybe that maybe that's where you're at. You're feeling isolated or lonely. Or maybe there's just some kind of a a need that you feel to hear God's voice. Like you want to hear God's words and God's voice. You're desperate for that. I need a word from God. I need to know that He's here. I need to know that He's close. That He sees me. Or maybe there's some burden or some need that you have that you're carrying. It could be big, it might be small. Other people might know about it or maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe you've received prayer for it or never before. Or maybe you suddenly find yourself in that category of such as these (laughs) where you suddenly feel weak or dependent or facing a difficult situation. Maybe you've never been there before. You don't know, get take comfort. Jesus was one such as these. <laughs> that's why he was so comfortable in being close to people such as these, because he also was made weak <laughs> and dependent and was from a poor family and suffered. You're not alone in those things, but maybe, maybe one of those things identifies where you're at. In a moment, I'm just going to ask you, if that's you, to just stand up. And you are going to have a chance to receive prayer. You don't have to. But if you're like, yeah, I mean, I need that. I need need God's good words to me. I need a touch from me. I need to hear his words. I need prayer. I need someone to take my needs. And maybe you've been prayed for many times or maybe never at all. You're not going to have to tell anyone why you're standing. You standing is the only thing you need to say (laughs) is I would like to to receive a blessing or prayer. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. And then what I'm going to invite everybody else to do, because that's a risk if you want to, you don't have to, but this is an amazing place to receive that. And in a moment, I'm going to say, for everyone else sitting down, if you see someone standing up, here's what I want you to do. They took a risk to stand up. Here's what I'm going to ask you to take a risk. is just to go over to them, and you're going to do three things. Um, you're not going to ask them what they need prayer for, that we're not exchanging any of that. You're just going to put one hand on their shoulder, and, and I'll say, guys, go pray for guys. Girls, pray for girls, just to you know, keep it as comfortable as possible. So same gender. You're just going to put one hand on your shoulder, on their shoulder, and you're going to first listen. You're not going to say anything. You're just going to listen for whatever word or phrase or image or verse or something that God has for this. Remember, like it could be the word. It could be confidence. It could be God sees you, whatever it is. Don't, don't try to filter and say, oh, I've never, you may have never done this before. That's okay. You're taking a risk. So is the person standing up. It isn't saying thus say it the Lord. We're just going to listen. And then you're going to say, I want to bless you with this. I want to bless you with this word, or I want to bless you with this verse. I want to bless you with this picture. I want to bless you with this phrase. That's it. You're just going to say that. And then you're going to pray a three-sentence prayer for them to God. And don't worry about you don't know them or you don't know what their need is. That doesn't matter. God knows. You are just going to pray for them. And you don't need to ask them after, oh, did that help? Did that land? You don't need to look to see if they're crying or whatever. That doesn't matter. Now, later on, if you feel like that was, you can find that person after church and tell them that but we don't need to exchange any of those words right now. We're just putting one hand on God, one hand on the other person. We're listening. God, what do you have for this person? We're saying, I think God wants to bless you with, and you can even say, I think, right? I'm not sure, but I think. And then you're just gonna pray a short prayer. And when you're done, look around. If there's other people standing who haven't gotten prayed for yet, pray for them. And once you've gotten prayed for, you can just sit down, but we're gonna make sure, and there's gonna be a time of worship. The band's gonna lead us in a couple of songs um, to respond to sing, but if uh, uh, we're just going to make sure everybody has a chance to pray for. And listen, we're sharing the risk together. You may think, oh, it's such a risk to stand up. Yeah, it's also a risk for someone to come over and say, I'm just going to listen for you, and I'm going to speak what's on my heart. You might say, oh, it's such a risk to just listen to God and say, that. yeah, it's also a risk for someone to stand up and say, would you come pray for me and bless me? We're putting one hand on God, one hand on each other, praying, bringing God's good words to them and bringing their needs to God. And so if that's you as the band leads us, I'd invite you to stand. And for the rest of you, just look around and say, hey, who can I go and stand with and bless and pray for?